0: What's up, Elevate City? Thanks so much for checking out today's message. We are in a foundational collection of talks titled The Ways of Jesus. And today we're gonna flip upside down what it means to follow Jesus. I hope that today's message blesses you. Before you go, make sure to click that subscribe button so that you can get the most up-to-date Elevate City content. Elevate City, make some noise if you're excited to be in church today. Man, I am so grateful, so pumped to be here with you guys today. Hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Hope you guys are uh, fully recovered from your Thanksgiving food comas. If you're not, it's going to be a bad day in those comfy movie theater seats, isn't it? If uh, your Thanksgiving meal didn't put you into an inundated lazy boy coma, then you're not doing it right. Can I get an amen? and come to my house next year to teach you how to do Thanksgiving right. Um, Hey, I am so um, thankful for Elevate City Church. Anybody else thankful to be a part of this community? Just so grateful for what God is doing in this space, in this place with these people. Um, Last Sunday at the start of my sermon, I did a little offering pitch, asked for those of you guys who believed in what God was doing here to begin to give. And I want you guys to know y'all stepped up in a massive way. Last week was the largest offering in the nine-week history of Elevate City Church. Yeah, let's celebrate that amazing to see what God is doing in this place. But what I was even more excited about was not just the amount that was given, but the amount of you who gave. Um, when we set out to start Elevate City, we wanted to see this be the kind of community where everybody was all in doing their part to see God do a new thing in this city. I don't know if you know this or not, but traditionally speaking, um, about 20% of people give 80% of the dollars at a church and when we set out to start elevate city we wanted to shatter that stereotype we believe that no matter how big or small that every gift matters to god whether you're in person or you're online we wanted you to be a part of paving the way for people to experience life change um when kayla and i uh before we launched elevate city we wrote this letter called the church that we see and there's a banner um of the letter hanging out in front of the theater and for the first seven weeks we played a video of me reading that letter the church that we see and there's there's this little section in that that letter that says this it says we see a church full of passionate participants and sacrificial givers a church whose worship shows that the worth of Jesus is unrivaled a church who holds nothing back but gives their all because all has been given to them in Jesus. Guys, last week, that section of that letter became a reality. It's not just the church we see. It's the church we are. Can I get an amen? God is growing people of faith. He's growing a generous church. People who believe that generosity is golden and are willing to unfold their lives for the good of others. And so I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, because what we once saw in faith, now we see in the flesh, vision is coming to life. It is being made tangible. God is on the move. And for those of you who haven't given yet, I'm going to tell you, man, get in on this. Invest in eternity. If your treasure is here, if your heart is here, put your treasure here. I don't want you to miss out on being a part of God writing incredible stories in the lives of people. And um, one big ask for me, and um, then I'll stop making you nervous talking about money, is um, if you, when you go in the setup you your giving, if you will set it up Um, to be reoccurring giving, this will allow us to know what's coming in and what we can spend so that we can be aggressive, so that we can take new ground in the city, so that we can reach people, so that we can do special things, especially around the Christmas season. So if you'll set up that reoccurring giving, it'll allow us to know what we're working with and whether or not Thomas can get paid, okay? just kidding. That was a joke. Okay. Just kidding. Calm down. It's, it's, it's all going to be great, but, um, that would mean the world to me. So one more time, can we just give it up for all the people who are giving to make Elevate City possible? One more time, big round of applause for an amazingly generous church. Praise God. All right. Well, um, if you're new, my name is Joey, and I'm welcome. So glad that you guys are here. Can y'all give it up for my man, Brian, over here on the keys? Y'all give it up for him, bringing down the house today. So good. Um, grateful for him and grateful for what God is going to do in this place. Um, if you're new, my name is Joey, and you'll learn really quick that I'm a Jesus guy. My uh, goal when we gather together is for you to fall more in love with Jesus. I think that Jesus is the most interesting person who has ever lived. I think that um, you might not know it, but I believe that Jesus is what you came in here looking for today. You might not know if you believe in him or if you even like him yet, but my goal is for you to leave here in love with him, for you to leave here more enamored with his character, more convinced of his claims, and more in step with his way of life. We are in a uh, foundational collection of talks titled The Ways of Jesus. And the topic for this sermon series is discipleship. Let me hear you say discipleship. Yeah, and a disciple is a student, an apprentice, a protege, a mentee of Jesus. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to explore what would it look like for Christianity to not just be a set of beliefs that we subscribe to, but a way of life we really walk in. We're trying to explore what it would be like to really be Jesus's disciples. You know, in antiquity and as well as biblically, the first Christians were called followers of the way. Before they were ever called Christians, they were called followers of the way. Jesus came and he introduced a new way of life. Jesus didn't come as much to establish a new religion as he did come to establish a new way of life. And the disciples began to live in this way of life. These new practices, these new patterns, these new perspectives, these new rhythms, and these new routines. And this way of life turned the world upside down. We believe that 2,000 years ago, a small group of people living in the ways of Jesus turned the world upside down. And Elevate City, I'm here to tell you, we're here to do that again. We're not here to just go through the motions. We're not here to just put on a show. We're not here to just play games. We're not here to be cute or cool or just another church. We're here to turn the world upside down. We're here to see God do something great in this city. We're here to wake people up to what life is really all about, to put the world on blast and let them know that all of this is passing away and that all that matters is Jesus in the end. Anybody excited to be a part of that kind of church, to be a revolutionary, to see revival happen in our city? I'm preaching way better than y'all are responding up here, okay? Y'all got that turkey hangover. You're going to need to get that gravy out your gut and get in the game because I'm trying to preach for y'all today. I'm trying to show you what it really looks like to be a disciple, not to just play church, not to just take the label Christian, but to be a disciple, an apprentice, a mentee, a person who lives in the way of Jesus. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And last week, what we learned is that um, to be a disciple, you got to leave your nets. What we're doing is we're studying these 12 first century disciples, these 12 rabbinical students who left everything that they had and they followed Jesus on the adventure of a lifetime. And the first thing that we saw these disciples do is we saw them drop their nets. A lifestyle of leaving is essential if you want to be a disciple You've got to be willing to leave your nets. You've got to have open hands if you want to be a disciple you got to let go of what you're holding on to if you want to take hold of the ways of Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked all about that discipleship, who we are. We're the kind of people who leave our nets. We leave our opinions. We leave our perspectives. We leave our sin. We leave our old way of life, and we take hold of Jesus. And today, I want to talk to you about what it is that you get to take hold of. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, we'll pick up the story. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I want to preach a message for you today titled Following at a Distance. Following at a distance. And let me ask you have you been following Jesus at a distance? You know, we talked a lot last week about what it would have been like for disciples to be called by a rabbi in the first century. We walked through the process, and we said that being called by a rabbi would have been a very rigorous and selective process. It would have involved these young Jewish boys going through different levels of schooling. They would go to Beth uh, Sefer and Beth Talmud and Beth Midrash, and if they graduated from Beth Midrash, they would submit these applications to be a rabbi's disciple. And if chosen, they would hear the words that they long to hear, which is follow me. And they would leave their families. They would leave their occupations. They would leave their hometown and they would go on this journey of following this rabbi. And it was a class like they'd never experienced before. This was on the job training. This was um, a sleep in study, a live in study, a living lecture is what these disciples begin to walk in. And there, there became this term in the first century that described what it looked like for disciples to follow a rabbi it was the imagery of what it looked like to really be a disciple of a rabbi and it became extremely popular and it's got such an interesting origin and the phrase was this the phrase was the dust of a rabbi the dust of a rabbi as you can imagine and the terrain of Israel, it's rocky, it's sandy, it's dusty, it's very desert-esque. And so you would have these anxious, these enthused, these excited young Jewish boys who just got the opportunity of a lifetime to follow this rabbi. And so they wanted to be as close as possible to their rabbi. They wanted to be so close with him as he was walking around. Um, if you'll remember the gospel stories, it's um, while Jesus is on a journey that he does some of his greatest teachings, Right? The woman at the well happens while Jesus is on a journey. Jesus changes Peter's name while he's on a journey. Jesus tells the church that the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it while he's on a journey. Rabbis would teach in transit they would walk and talk and so these young Jewish boys they would literally just huddle around their rabbi being as close as possible they would have like fomo anybody have fomo fear of missing out fear of missing something these disciples had fomo they didn't want to miss out on anything that their rabbi had to say they wanted to study his facial expressions they wanted to watch his mannerisms they wanted to hear his tone of voice try to emulate his walking they wanted to literally just be exactly like him so they would be as close to him as humanly possible and so the the imagery would literally be that there would be this rabbi who was walking and there would be this group of teenage boys who would just be huddled around him from every corner as he is walking and there would just be this cloud of dust that you know his Birkenstocks are kicking up right And this dust and this grime and this muck and this mud would just get all over these young Jewish boys. It was actually a sign of honor in the first century. It was like being like the the top of your class if at the end of the day you were the one who had the most grime and the most muck and the most dust and the most dirt just caked all over you. It was a sign of honor for these disciples to be drenched in the dust of their rabbi. And many of us are just following Jesus at a distance we are far removed nowhere close to being connected to our savior you know i've been wondering this week if um if the first century picture of discipleship is the dust of the rabbi what would the 21st century picture of discipleship be what would the 21st century picture be if it's first century dust of the rabbi what's 21st century discipleship And my mind immediately went to social media right are you just socially following Jesus? You know, social media is funny, isn't it? How many of y'all remember MySpace? Any MySpace fans in the house? You remember having a top eight? Put your best friends in there, only the best ones made the cut. How's Tom doing? Y'all heard from Tom recently? Tom from MySpace? That's a very funny joke, okay? Um, what about, how many of y'all remember on Facebook when you used to be able to poke people? Y'all remember? Remember? poking people on Facebook. That was the funniest thing in the world. Nobody even knew why it was there or how it worked, but you just get in like month-long poke wars with people. Somebody must have filed a restraining order or something and it went away, right? But social media is funny. It's funny the way that social media works. I don't know about you guys, but in this season um, of such tension, of such polarization with politics and media, um, I've had this tendency when um, someone posts something or says something that I don't like to just unfollow them. Anybody else? Anybody with me? Nope, just me, the only sinner in the crowd. Okay. All right, you know, maybe if you don't unfollow them, maybe what you do is you uh, stay their friend, but you just mute their posts. Anybody do that? You're like, you don't want them to know that you've unfollowed them. You just don't want to hear what they have to say, right? Have some of us put distance between us and Jesus because we don't want to hear what he has to say? Has the distance occurred because we disagree? I think that that happens sometimes that Jesus wanted to talk about something and we didn't want to hear it. And so we just put distance between us and God and we're just socially following Jesus. You know, I think that there's another imagery that may be 21st century discipleship. And I'm going to call this imagery the um, middle school minivan drop off. How many of y'all remember the middle school minivan drop-off? Come on. Don't act like it didn't happen for you, okay? The middle school minivan drop-off was when, like, you would go on a date, right, to the movies, and you would be meeting this girl, and um, you didn't want this girl to see your mom drop you off, and so you would have your mom drop you off, like, a mile away. Anybody else ever done this before? You see, I, it was it was necessary for me because I had, my mom had a hooptie minivan. Anybody ever have a hooptie car, a hoopty car that you're, like, not even sure it's going to make it there? We had this, like, 1993 Maroon astro van all right um it we lived in the ghetto and um the van would like backfire in school zones kids would hit the ground shimmy the bushes right Be like man down <laughs> is that a gunfire or a car <laughs> who knows <laughs> so so this van was ghetto y'all y'all don't even know how ghetto this van was um the the seat belt security thing that dings y'all know that where like if your seatbelt isn't on it dings at you Th- that just dinged all the time it never stopped you were just driving ding ding, ding, not annoying at all. Ding, ding, ding. The door worked like 43% of the time, the sliding door. Sometimes you just have to like hold it in place. Um, I think the van had like two and a half hubcaps. Okay. Two and a half hubcaps and one spinner rim that me and my brothers bought from Walmart. Okay. That's, that's this van. We nicknamed it Valerie, the Vanimal, Valerie, the Vanimal. And you knew when she was coming, it was loud. It was gassy. It was, it was obnoxious, and so I would be like, mom, drop me off way down here so that I could roll up on this girl, and she wouldn't see me drop, she wouldn't see you drop me off, which is so funny, right? Like, how does this girl think that I got here? She'd think I, like, ran to the movie theater. She'd think I teleported to the movie theater. I'm 14. I can't drive, right? But that's what we would do. We would do the middle school van drop-off. We would go, and then we'd drop off so far away and then kind of walk up on the movie theater so nobody would see us. And isn't that how a lot of us follow Jesus. We were fine with Jesus getting us here, yeah? Fine with Jesus getting us here to this point in our life. Fine with Jesus getting us here to get that job. Fine with Jesus getting us here to get that house. Fine with Jesus getting us here to get that college education. Fine with Jesus getting us here to get that relationship. But now that we're here, we'll take it from here, Jesus. Drop me off over here, Jesus, and let me do life in my own strength. Let me walk without you and talk without you and take it from here. Isn't that what a lot of us do? Don't we follow Jesus kind of at a distance? And is it because, do we follow Jesus at a distance because we're nervous about our appearance? Are we nervous about being associated with him, about someone seeing us with him and him messing it up for us? Like I was concerned about the van messing up my day. Are we concerned about Jesus messing it up for us? That maybe if they know that I walk with Jesus, maybe if they know that I'm following Jesus, maybe if they know that I'm connected to Jesus, I'm not going to get that job. I'm not going to get that deal. I'm not going to get invited to that party. I'm not going to get asked to go on that trip. My name's going to get left off that guest list, isolated from that conversation. Are we nervous about the appearance of following Jesus? And are we just following Jesus at a distance? You know, I think that there are a multiplicity of reasons that we follow Jesus at a distance. I think that if we're honest, all of us are a little prone to put distance between us and God. I mean, it happened for Peter, happened for the apostle Peter. If you'll read in Matthew 25, we see that the night that Jesus was taken, that Peter put some distance between him and Jesus Matthew 25 verse 57, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance. What we see here is we see caution tape discipleship. Caution tape discipleship. I think another reason that a lot of us may follow Jesus at a distance is because we are afraid. We are not sure if it's safe. We're not sure where it's going to take us. We're not sure what it's going to mean. We're not sure what road it's going to lead down. And so we've got kind of a caution tape discipleship where we're following Jesus at a distance, assessing the situation, seeing if we want to take a step, seeing if we want to keep on going, seeing where this trajectory is going to lead. We're living in caution tape discipleship. Well, isn't God supposed to be safe? I mean, the reason that you follow at a distance at times is because something's not safe, right? Right? And I mean, God's supposed to be safe. I mean, like think about it. Like if you were testing a bomb, like when they test a bomb, figure out if a bomb's going to work. They do it like on an island far away, right? Because they want to keep a safe distance because it's not safe. Generals in a war, they don't go to the front lines. They send, you know, the young bucks to the front lines and they stay far away because it's not safe. They stay at a distance. Well, shouldn't God be safe? Shouldn't following Jesus be safe? Not if you're trying to protect your comfort, not if you're trying to protect control, Not if you're trying to protect your future. Not if you're trying to protect your life. Not if you're trying to protect your reputation. Then following Jesus is not safe. To quote the um, great prophet, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, following Jesus, it's not safe, but it's good. It is good. It is good for your soul, and it is what you need. You know, I've often wondered, like, if what happened to Peter that night has happened to us You know, Jesus got handcuffed by these soldiers, and I think that our understanding of Jesus has gotten handcuffed by our situations. That a lot of us have given in to fear, we've given in to culture, we've allowed what's happening in our world, our job, the busyness of life, the demands of being a parent, to start to handcuff our understanding of Jesus, to take him hostage, to take him somewhere else, and then we start to follow at a distance. Because we're so concerned with all of these other things. And, and it gets handcuffed. And I, I wonder what would happen if we would not feel like this is a condemnation. But an invitation this morning. Like that there's an opportunity. Like there's so much more to following Jesus than what we've been experiencing. That it's not this distant, sideline, removed, disconnected version of Christianity that you have to do. But that you could actually be close. You know another word, another translation for the word follow in the Greek is accompany. It's accompany. I actually think that in some ways it may have been a better translation of what the Greek word is there for follow to accompany that the invitation wasn't just to follow behind Jesus, but to go with Jesus. Um, This scripture that I'm getting ready to read, I think that it should honestly, it should completely reframe how you see following Jesus. It should reinform what you think Christianity is all about. When, when I read this scripture and understood the fundamental components of this scripture, it changed the way that I approached following Jesus. It's this, it's Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And it says this: He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Did you catch it? He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. To preach, you know, when a lot of people talk about following Jesus, what do they talk about? They talk about obedience, right? Obedience. They talk about doing what Jesus did, walking in Jesus' ways having the habits that Jesus had. They talk about things like preaching the gospel. They talk about things like loving your neighbor. They talk about things like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick. They talk about obedience. Following Jesus is about obedience. It's about doing what Jesus did, and that's the way that a lot of people talk about it. But what if following Jesus wasn't first about obedience to Jesus, but it was about being with Jesus? Because it's only when you're with Jesus that you're able to be obedient to Jesus. What if we've gotten the script flipped? What if we've missed out on what this is supposed to be about in the first place? You know, I often wonder what would have happened that night for Peter if he would have not abandoned Jesus in Gethsemane. Have you ever thought about this? You know the story. Good Friday, right before Jesus is about to be executed, Jesus asks his disciples to pray, and they can't even pray with him. They can't even stay awake to be with him. They fall asleep, and then the guards come, they take Jesus hostage, and the rest of the story happens. And the disciples run for the hills. They tuck tails and run. They start to follow at a distance. But what would have happened if Peter would have stayed with Jesus, prayed with Jesus, practiced the presence of Jesus? What if you'd have taken that really seriously? What might have happened that night? What if Peter wouldn't have neglected the secret place? What would have happened in the public place? How might the story have unfolded? You know, How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase divine appointment? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Divine appointment. If you're raising your hand, you grew up Baptist, right? Divine appointment. A divine appointment is when you're in the right place at the right time to do something for God. You know, you're going to miss a lot of divine appointments if you keep missing your first appointment, which is to be with Jesus, the first and foremost call of the Christian is to be with Jesus. And if you miss that appointment, you miss just about everything else. You're supposed to be with him, connected to him, not far from him, not doing stuff for him, but being with him. Have you forgotten that this is the first call of the Christian. He appointed them to be with him, to spend time with him in his presence, to know his ways, to see his character, to enjoy who he is. Have you forgot to be with him? I'm here to tell you today that if you have everything, but you don't have his presence, you have nothing. If you have everything in the world, but you don't have the presence of God in your life, you have nothing. You could have a really great family and really awesome kids and a really comfortable life and a really great job and a really chill experience and existence on earth. But if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. If you don't know how to be with him and spend time with him and practice his presence. You know, in the book of John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. I'm fighting for your life up here. I'm fighting for your heart up here. I want for you to think about following Jesus like the movie Gravity. Anybody ever seen the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock? Wildly terrifying movie. It's one of those movies that when you watch it in the theater, you're just jumping the whole time on edge this idea of jesus being your oxygen you being tethered to him that if you if you don't if you come disconnected from him then you're going to be like Sandra Bullock just floating off into the abyss that's how you should think about being with jesus it should be the most important thing on your calendar the most important thing on your schedule your primary objective for the day to be with jesus because apart from jesus you can do nothing You can do nothing. You know, a lot of us, the way that we're following Jesus, we we don't even follow Jesus as closely as we follow somebody in traffic when we even know where we're going. Can we be real about that? Like, you, you, you know you followed somebody where, like, you know where you're going, but you're following them anyway. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you left somewhere, like you were having a poker night or something. You're like, let's go to Waffle House because that's a great idea, right? And um, so you get in your car and you go to Waffle House and you kind of know where the Waffle House is, but they're like, hey, just follow me. And so you're following them and you're trying so close to stay just behind that car. Y'all have done this before, right? I'm not the only one. And you're like, you know, pulling out into traffic really aggressively, risking your life. You're running red lights, swerving into lanes, won't let any car between you and that car. You do this. Does anybody do this? If you're following somebody down the highway and like a car tries to creep up and like get in between you. and that car you're like uh, uh-uh, no ma'am right you just gotta get closer isn't that so funny the way that we just follow and go and hey if 2020 has taught us anything it's that we don't know where this life is going we don't know where things are headed but we keep letting things get in the way between us and the one who knows the way who is the way and the truth and the life what are we thinking in this world that is so unpredictable and that is so chaotic, full of so many twists and turns and ups and downs and red lights, some stops and goes, we're letting so much get in the way, so much distance creep in between us and Jesus. What have you allowed to get in the way? I'm trying to remind you of your first love this morning. Like, when is the last time that you were? just with Jesus and you wouldn't let anybody or anything interrupt your time with him Like, when is the last time that you locked yourself in your room and you didn't care as much about deep theology or relevancy or practicality but you just wanted him Where like you went into your room and you like did the things that you did when you were in high school and you first started following Jesus, you like lit a candle and you grabbed your Bible and your journal and you put on worship music, John Mark McMillan, How He Loves, Sloppy Wet Edition, because you meant business. When is the last time you did that? Where you said, I just want to know that you're near. I just want to know that you still love me. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to sit in your presence. I just want to soak up your goodness. When's the last time that just being with him mattered more than anything else and you wouldn't let anything else get in the way? You know, heaven is such an interesting and funny thing to talk about. In John 17, you know, we learn about eternal life and what eternal life actually is. And a lot of us, when we think about eternal life, we think about eternal life being these like streets of gold and naked baby angels playing harps and sitting on clouds. And, you know, that's, that's our understanding of eternal life. But did you know that Jesus says this is eternal life, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent? Eternal life, you know what it is? It's being with Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's looking at his eyes. It's getting to know his character. It's understanding his goodness. It's sitting in his presence. And I'm, I'm concerned that if we don't love being with Jesus, then a lot of us aren't going to really like heaven. Because that's what it is. It's enjoying Him and enjoying His goodness and being with Him. And when is the last time that being with Him, that His presence mattered more than anything else? Like, when is the last time that you did your devotional or your quiet time and you didn't just do a devotional to get done, but you did a devotional to be with Him? Did you know that there is nothing magical, that there's nothing spiritual, that there's nothing even biblical about reading a chapter a day to keep the doubts away? That's nowhere in there. You know where that is? Second opinions, 918, okay? That's it. It's an opinion that a chapter a day is going to work. You know what's going to work? When you're with him. When you don't stop till you're with him. But Joey, I got so much to do. I got kids to raise. I got bills to pay. I got a job to work. You get paid to do this stuff. Listen, Martin Luther uh, um, leader of the reformation now 95 theses the castle church at wittenberg was the cause of the protestant church splitting off from the catholic church has done massive things for the kingdom done more with his life than almost any of us have i can assure you and this is what he says he goes i got so much to do today that i got to spend four hours in prayer first that's a different mindset a lot of christians that i talk to want to change the world they need to focus on changing their quiet time they need to focus on changing their time in God's presence. They need to develop this focus and this habit where they want to be with him. Hey, I'm here to tell you, if you're looking for some fun-sized, bite-sized, 15 minutes in your good version of Christianity, keep on looking. Because I've tried that version of faith. And you have too. And the truth is that it's empty. That it doesn't work. It doesn't produce the results that we want. Jesus is not just some line to be checked on your calendar. He is your calendar. He is the point. Being with him is what matters most. If we could grasp what happens when we become people who practice the presence of God if we become people who become more preoccupied with his will and his ways and time at his feet, I really believe that there is no limit to what God will do with this church. If we will become the kind of people who really abide in Jesus, who want to be with Jesus, who see it as the mission and the objective of our life to not let any distance become between us and Jesus, but just to stay in the dust of our rabbi, to stay as closely as possible, to eliminate distractions, to, to, to remove things that would try to weasel their way in and get in the way. This is what life is about. Man, as your pastor, one of the most important things that I can do is try to keep what's most important in front of you. Nothing matters more than being with Jesus. Nothing matters more than sitting at his feet. Nothing matters more than looking at his face. Nothing matters more than knowing that he's near. Nothing matters more than getting his word and getting on his face and getting on your face before him. You know, if we're really gonna be students of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, apprentice of Jesus, then we've gotta do what Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus always withdrew to be with his father. Time on his face with his father, withdrawing to lonely places was the way of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have done life any other way. Look, we see it all throughout the gospels. In Luke 5, 16, it says this, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 1:35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Where he prayed. Luke 6:12 through13. Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. Matthew 14:13, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew to boat privately to a solitary place. Matthew 14:23, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Mark 14, 26, when Jesus and his disciples had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. This was Jesus' usual place to pray when he was in Jerusalem. The way of Jesus was to be with his father, and the way of Jesus' followers is to be with Jesus. My heart, my prayer for this church is that we become the kind of church that's got the heart of David. Where we go, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon his beauty, and that I may seek him in his temple. I want for our church to go better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I want us to have the heart of Paul who says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. There is nothing better than being with him. I want for the heart of our church to be to chase after the heart of Jesus, to just be as close as possible, no distance between him and his disciples. You know, Dallas Willard, he's um, one of my favorite writers, theologians. um, He's just brilliant. And he writes talking about this idea of practicing the presence of God, about fighting to be with Jesus, about being a disciple who lives in the dust of the rabbi. And this is what he says. He says, the first And most basic thing we can do and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity and can be broken, a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. What would it look like if we were people who were always in two places at once? who were at work and with Jesus, who were at home and with Jesus, who were in traffic and with Jesus. What would it look like if we left today with this obsession for the secret place and obsession for the public place, that we were with Jesus all the time, anywhere and everywhere that we went, that we were people who were just so dedicated to saying that the goal of my life is not doing great things for God, but being with God. Because it's only when I'm with him, connected to him, the savior of my soul, the giver of life, the sustainer, the oxygen, the source, the supply, that I'm able to do anything in the first place. What if we started to feel like his presence, that being with him was like, that was heaven. that's That was the destination. That's where we were going. That's where we were headed. Just to be with him, just to sit at his feet and to know his ways and to see his goodness. You know, who you're with shapes how you feel more than anything else who you're with shapes how you feel I don't know if you've ever been walking through like a dark alley before and you were with some people and you were like this isn't good right like you were walking through a dark alley and you don't have the right kind of people who you're with and so it creates fear and timidity like I love him but I don't want to walk through a dark alley with Joe Baker he's my boy okay but I'm not I'm not I'm not sure that he's got it in that situation but you know you could be with some other friends some friends who might know how to throw down, like I got this friend Josh, and Josh ain't afraid of anybody. I remember one time we were on the inner harbor of Baltimore, and this dude walked by and he just kind of grabbed me, like my shoulder like that. And Josh turned around and he said, Oh, hello, governor. You feeling froggy? Jump. Like Josh is all up at the guy's face. Unafraid. And all of a sudden I'm unafraid because of whom I'm with. What would happen? If we started to practice the presence of God, if we started to understand that we were with Him, if we started to take little moments throughout the day and just just hide off in His presence, I've started to do this. I did this leading up to launch every day at ten twenty. Me and the team, man, we just we shut it down and we prayed for. Well, uh, at, Ten forty, we shut it down and prayed. Pray that God would do something great. Pray that God would start something new. Pray that we'd see revival. I'm doing it right now at eleven sixteen. Just stopping what I'm doing, just drawing away, getting in the presence of God, being with Him. Do you know what happens when I'm with Him? I come out of those moments with this en- enthusiastic faith, with this boldness, with this courage, with this belief. Don't you want to see that rise up in you? Do you know why you don't know if God could do something great in your life? It's because you haven't been with Him lately. If you would be with him if you would sit with him if you would let him speak over you and restore to you the joy of your salvation you would know that nothing is impossible when god is on our side i believe that we could institute a new way of living where we saw following jesus as about being with jesus every second of every moment of every day and you know when we follow jesus when we're with jesus we end up where Jesus goes. If we're with Jesus, then you know what? We're gonna find ourselves with people, with broken people and hurting people and messy people and sinful people and people who are far from God. And you know what we're gonna to get to do? We're gonna to get to introduce them to Jesus. Nothing, nothing creates distance like sin. You know, the story of the Bible goes like this, that in the beginning God created and everything was good, it was perfect, it was as it should be. God lived with his people in a garden called Eden. It was paradise. And it wasn't paradise because it was beautiful. It was paradise because God was there and because he was with his people. But Adam and Eve, they sinned. They did the one thing that God asked them not to do. And that sin created distance between them and God. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what they did is they hid. They turned some fig leaves into clothes and they hid behind a bush and they they, they were naked. They were afraid, afraid they were ashamed because sin separates. The great terror of sin is that it separates us from God, that it removes us from his presence, and it ultimately causes them to be kicked out of Eden. But I've got good news for you today that no matter the distance that your sin has created between you and God, that Jesus came to get you. You're not here finding God today. I want you to know that you're here today because God is coming to find you. Jesus always bridges the gap of distance, leaves heaven, comes to earth, takes on flesh, runs after his creation. Those who've rejected him and rebelled against him and run away from him, he's running after you today closing the gap. This is what the cross is all about. Shrinking the chasm, making a way for you to get back to God. So my heartbeat today for our church is that we would we would respond, that we would say yes and that we would get reconnected to Jesus. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give some of you who are in the room today an opportunity for the first time to close the distance between you and God. For you to get back connected to the life-giving source to the one who can sustain your soul to the one who life is all about you know you've sinned i know i've sinned fallen so short missed the mark created so much distance between me and god but today because of what jesus did for you two thousand years ago on the cross on calvary you can get back to god and if you want to receive that all you've got to do is say yes And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, just say this, Jesus, I wanna come back home. I want you to close the distance. I know my sin has separated, but I know your cross has saved. I believe in your resurrection. I crown you king. I give you my life today. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible tells us that something spiritual happened in the heavenly places you were transferred from a kingdom of darkness a kingdom of distance and now you're in a kingdom of light you're home with your king his name is Jesus and if you did that then we just want to mark that moment give you an opportunity to take a bold step and we want to celebrate with you so with every head bowed and every eye closed just on the count of three I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign as a statement that you've given your life to Jesus today one two three Hey, let's celebrate believing that there are people in this room and online who are giving their life to Jesus, that the gospel is on the move, that God is closing the distance. And for the rest of you, here's how I wanna close out our service today is if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've got a little communion cup that is sitting in your chair. If you're at home, I encourage you to maybe grab some communion elements, some bread and some juice or some wine. And right before Jesus, was given over to be executed. He had this last supper with his disciples, and he said, hey, here's my body, it's bread. It's about to be broken for you. And here's my blood, it's juice, it's about to be shed for you. I want for you to do this in remembrance of me. And communion for Christians for the last 2,000 years has become one of the most beautiful ways for us to close the distance between us and God, for God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. And so here's what I want you to do, just take take the elements, the bread and the juice, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I just want you to know, it's just like, it's a snack, okay? It means nothing, you can do it, but like, but for us, who love Jesus, this is deeply spiritual. We believe that there's something symbolic about this moment and it's deeply reminding us of what God's done for us. And so I just want for you to get to that place where you say, I just want you, Jesus. I wanna know you and be with you and have my life be completely wrapped up in you. I want everywhere I walk to be a walk with you. I wanna stay in step with my savior. I don't wanna miss a moment. Ask him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. And then, you know, take the bread and take the juice and take communion. And then we're going to worship together and just ask God to close the distance today. Jesus, we love you. And I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful for this space. God, I pray that these words, God, that they would not fall on deaf ears today. God, I pray that they would pierce our hearts today. I pray that they pierce my heart today. I pray that your presence would be my priority. I pray that being with you would be my obsession. I pray that we would be a church who doesn't have distance, but who follows in the dust of our rabbi. Let us be that kind of church. I ask for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.